Welcome, my friends, to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. I am the Tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Happy New Year, everybody! Happy New Year! You're listening to Tomb of Ideas in the year 2020. I'm Trey Lawson. And where's my flying car? <laughs> right? This, this is the year of Blade Runner, right? Exactly. I'm, you know, I'm James Hickson, and Trey and I are stuck here in this tomb, but we can only assume that, like, outside of these walls, there are, like, flying cars, robot servants... And all kinds of cool stuff that we don't get because we're oh yeah, here. Uh, not not to mention uh, replicants. Ooh, wait, are you a, a replicant? No, at least I don't think so. But then cool. I'm still not sure if Harrison Ford is a replicant. So who knows? Cool, I'm I'm I'm, I'm not one either. Ah, good. Yeah. Those little uh, origami unicorns I've been finding lying around don't mean anything. Pfft. Origami what now? <laughs> Anyway, uh, this is... I've never seen Blade Runner. (laughs) Really? Really? (laughs) Well, I have all, like, seven versions of it, so we can pick one. (laughs) Seven shades of Blade Runner. Uh, You think I'm joking. There is a theatrical cut, there is a director's cut, there's a work print cut, there's an international cut, there's a final cut. Like, it's ridiculous. (laughs) And they're all on the Blu-ray. Two minutes in, we're already on a tangent. Excellent. (laughs) Great start to 2020. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, So this is the the first episode of the new year. Uh, We are continuing in our uh, deep dive into the world of Marvel horror comics. But first, uh, we do have a little bit of uh, Marvel film and television news to talk about. Which means, Uh, for the first time in 2020... It is time for Hellstrom Watch. All right, Trey, what news do we have in the world of Marvel Media? Well, first off, as far as we know, Hellstrom is still happening. Excellent. Uh, other than that, there is a rumor, and I think I think I should stress that that right now it is nothing more than a rumor. Okay. That. Uh, Marvel is zeroing in on a short list of actors to star in their Moon Knight series. Okay. And uh, the name that is rumored to be on that list right now is Harry Potter himself, Daniel Radcliffe. (laughs) What? That's what they're saying. That's insane. First off, yeah, would he be doing an American accent? Oh, absolutely. You'd have to. Does Daniel Radcliffe, Radcliffe do an American accent? Yes, I believe he does. Interesting. Honestly, how... what would be what would be interesting is if he did an American accent for some of the the personalities, but not all of them. Ooh, that would be interesting. Like what? Like what if the cab driver was Cockney? Okay, that's right. Because you you've seen um, Daniel Radcliffe on stage, right? In your favorite play, Equus. 
<laughs> I don't know if I'd call it my favorite play, but yeah, I did. That was that was his very first like professional stage performance, I think. Um, that was and that was back when the Harry Potter movies were still happening. So I don't know that that's necessarily the fairest judge of his uh, dramatic acting ability, but he was pretty good in it. Wait, I was joking. You've actually seen Equus of Daniel Radcliffe? Yeah, yeah, I saw it uh, in uh, London the first time it ran. <laughs> okay, um, did he do a American accent in that? No, every that's actually a British play, I think. Okay, um, but but everyone in it was British. Okay, that makes sense. Because uh, what's his name that plays his uh, uncle uh, is also was also in it. Okay, uh, Uncle Vernon, uh, actor who yeah, sadly yeah. passed. Right, right. Um, but he, he played the psychiatrist in, in Equus. Why the person needs to see a psychiatrist? I have no clue. <laughs> uh, hold on. Uh, but anyway, uh, like I say, I, I think it would be cool if they mixed up the, the accents for some of the different personalities. Like maybe a posh accent for the billionaire, uh, something cockney for the, the cab driver, and, and maybe just a, a flat American accent for the mercenary. Oh, yeah, I could see that. And I think we talked about previously the other name being uh, bantered about a bit was Shia LaBeouf. Right. Uh, I, and I, I can see him working for similar reasons as Radcliffe. They're uh, sort of in the same age group. You know, it sort of indicates uh, the type of person they're looking at. Yeah, I could see that. And, and they're both, you know, they're we both think about those guys. Actors, do I? They're both people we think about as being like super young, but then we have to realize we are both super old. <laughs> right, right. Well, and they're both child actors who grew into being like character actors. Yeah, and that's right, sort of what you need for that's sort of what you need for Moon Knight. I think is a character actor. It'd be interesting to see if they get Daniel Radcliffe for television, although he has done television before. Well, he's on that Miracle Workers show, isn't he? Uh, that's the one with John Hamm, right? Uh, I think so. And uh, Steve Buscemi? Wait, no, I might be thinking about something else then. There's one with... No, this is the one that's in he- set in heaven. Okay. Alright, no, I'm thinking about the one where, like, John Hamm is the older version of the Doctor and Daniel Radcliffe is the younger version. Oh, no, no, that's something else. Yes, he did that too, but he's done, like, a network television show um, for... I forget which network, but, uh... A Young Doctor's Notebook. Ah, yes. Uh, this one, he's like an angel, and Steve Buscemi is God, or something. Oh, wow. I was completely unaware that existed. Yeah, no, there... And, and now there's, like, a spinoff of some sort that's, like, set in the Middle Ages, and so they're playing different characters, maybe? I don't know. I don't follow either show, but... In any case, Radcliffe has been doing some TV. Okay. So... Doing Moon Knight would not be totally out of the um, spectrum of possibility. No, not at all. Um, and, and of course, the other rumor um, that I can't remember if we've talked about yet or not is that in addition to possibly introducing uh, Werewolf by Night, Moon Knight might also introduce Dracula in some capacity. Of course, so Moon Knight can get his goddamn money. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, that's the rumor on Moon Knight. Now, right. we had something um, else drop, drop recently, couple, last couple of days? 
So, um, also in terms of Marvel television, or streaming, I guess we should say, um, Marvel has moved up the release date for WandaVision. So it was originally planned for 2021, in the spring. Um, But, uh, as of New Year's Day, they have announced that they are going to release WandaVision uh, by the end of 2020. Which is super exciting for me. Yeah. Yeah. WandaVision looks like it's going to be insane. I I am excited for it. One, because it's supposed to lead into the Doctor Strange movie, and I love Doctor Strange. Um, But also, I'm just utterly bewildered by the cast. Yeah, we've got, uh, of course, Elizabeth Olsen. Right. The most famous Olsen sister now. Right. Um, We've got um, Paul Bettany. Right. It is Paul Bettany, right? Yeah, yeah, he's the Vision. Okay, I was I, I was I was confusing him with another actor for a second there, but and like no, that's the guy from Buffy, and he's like getting arrested a lot. <laughs> right, uh, right. Then of course, there um, we were getting Darcy from the Thor films, right? Uh, played by Kat Dennings. Yep, Kat Dennings, and we are getting Agent Wu from Ant Man Two. Yep, Ant-Man so that's uh, Randall Randall Park. In a park. There we go. And also, uh, Tayona Paris is playing a grown-up version of Monica Rambeau. Oh, that's right. This is so. This is really interesting. And so, the showrunner was a screenwriter on Captain Marvel. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So there's just a lot going on there. Now, that means we're getting both uh, Winter Soldier and the Falcon, or is it the Falcon and Winter Soldier? Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Okay, we're getting both Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision in fall of 2020? I believe so. Wow. That's okay. Yeah, I mean, they're hitting the ground running in terms of original content. Yeah, it is scheduled for release uh, 2020. Ooh, that's a lot. That's a lot of programming in the, in the fall because right, as of right now, you know... The fall and, like, December were kind of taken over by The Mandalorian from Disney+. Plus, Right. Which, you know, everybody's baby Yoda crazy right now. Right. And but, and, and the expectation is that the Marvel shows, just like, uh, just like Mandalorian, will be released episode by episode, rather than all at once. Okay. Which I like. I like sort of having something to look forward to week after week. And also... It's nice not having to rush and binge everything so that someone on the internet doesn't spoil it for you. Yeah, it, it really was quite nice watching The Mandalorian once a week. Because it it never failed when the Marvel shows would drop on Netflix. Before I would have a chance to watch everything, I would have seen, like, all the best parts in GIF form on Twitter. Oh, I hate that so much. Although... For, like, the last couple of episodes of The Mandalorian, I just watched the whole series again mm. in one sitting. I, we we were traveling for the holidays, and so uh, uh, I didn't get to see, like, the last two or three episodes straight at the end of that season. So those I ended up binging. But, but up to that point, it, I had just been watching episode by episode. Okay. So, kind of, kind of tangential... Um, there's a new Dracula series on Netflix. Yes. Yeah, there is. 
From Stephen um, Moffat and Mark Geddes. Yep, in the style of Sherlock, in that it is a three-episode miniseries, and each episode is feature-length. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is fascinating. I am two. I'm two thirds of the way through it. Okay. And and it's a fascinating twist on the the story. It's not a direct adaptation of the novel, but it uses a lot of characters from the novel. Um, and without spoiling anything, the way the second episode ends, I have no idea what the third episode is going to be about. Okay, that should be interesting. Yeah, it, it's kind of like you know how on Sherlock. When there would be a three-episode season, like, at some point in the second episode, something would happen that would just shatter any expectations you had for the finale? Yes. They're doing that. <laughs> okay. But that it has a really fun. great has a really great cast. Uh, Klaus Bang is fantastic as Dracula. Um, and, and the show, again, in Sherlock fashion, borrows bits and pieces from all different versions and adaptations and permutations of the character yeah i mean it's obviously not in the marvel version of dracula we'll probably get that with like i guess moon knight maybe but you know it's Hopefully. interesting but because so, that, I, so that moon knight can get his goddamn money yeah <laughs> okay i got you that joke now you got me okay yeah um but it, it, it it'll be interesting if it catches on like sherlock did i don't i know it's beginning a lot of buzz on like online i haven't had a chance to watch it yet yeah, I, I feel like it's going to be, at the very least, seen by more eyes because it's co-produced by Netflix. Yeah. Because before, with, with Sherlock, y you had to tune in on PBS for a while, you know? Like, eventually it hit Netflix. But, like, initially, you just had to know it was going to be on PBS and make time for it. Yeah... And yeah. Even, then, the PB even then, the PBS broadcast was always after the British broadcast. You know, it sort of had that early Doctor Who problem. Yeah, and, like, I watched it, like, the day it came out in, on the BBC when, like, no one was talking about it, and it kind of hit me like, yeah. holy crap, this thing is going to be huge. And I was yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, no, and it, it made uh, stars of everyone in it. Um, both of the leads are now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> it, it, yep, including, uh, of course, Sherlock, um, who is... Um, Beedrill Crabtree. <laughs> to steal a joke from our friends at Make Ours Marvel. Right. Hi, guys. Uh, yeah, uh, he, he is one of my favorites, Bernard Scratch and Stiff. <laughs> <laughs> we should stop. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's funny, because the last time they did a... The last time Make Ours Marvel did a Doctor Strange uh, issue, they actually finally got it right. Oh, Okay, my brain just doesn't process it then. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so we do have one more bit of news, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one is actually Marvel related, uh, and that is that the long delayed, supposedly completed New Mutants movie that was produced by Fox before Fox was purchased by Disney. Um, is going to finally get a release. Which, again, uh, I'll believe it when I see it. Right. Uh, the, this latest is, the latest news came from January 2nd and gave us a little more information, and that is that not only is it going to get a theatrical release, um, but 
Disney has gone back to the original cut. So they've thrown out the reshoots that Fox insisted on and gone back to the cut that the director favored. Yeah, apparently they liked the original cut. So they're like, no, you, you don't need to reshoots. And more importantly, it sounds like Sienkiewicz is on board with it. Uh, he, Bill Sienkiewicz, who uh, was the artist on the, the New Mutants early issues uh, that this, uh, this movie loosely adapts, um, posted on Twitter, I believe, that, that the director showed him some footage and he, said it, he says that it's exactly what he would want it to be. So, okay, do I remember correctly that, like, Fox was getting them to reshoot because they wanted more of a horror feel? Well, it seems like they went back and forth on it. They, first they wanted it to be more superhero-y, then they wanted it to be more horror. Um, Sienkiewicz says that the horror elements are in place, but that it also feels more like a Marvel movie. But it isn't a Marvel Marvel movie. Right, no, this is still an... This is still an X-Men movie not set in the MCU, um, so it's curious that it's even being... I, I figured it was going to be dropped on streaming. I figured they would throw it on Hulu, because they own Hulu, they could put it there without it being part of the MCU stuff. Like, okay. It's weird, because, like, X-Men Phoenix, or what it was called, Dark Phoenix, or Phoenix, what was it called? Uh, it, it eventually just got reduced to dark phoenix with no okay. x-men in, in the title at all oh wow okay yeah i haven't seen it <laughs> but like i i have not seen an x-men movie since logan i've not seen logan uh logan's real good uh but i did not see uh apocalypse and i did not see dark phoenix there you go i saw deadpool too i finally caught it on hbo okay but i feel like there was a lot of ink and a lot of uh, voices saying, hey, this is the end of the Fox X-Men universe. This is the end. This is the end, guys. This is it. This is everything. Yep. This, this, is, this, yep. is the, this is the end of the chapter. And then New Mutants just kind of come along like, hey, what about us? Well, and see, New Mutants was in production, like, before Dark Phoenix. <laughs> yes. Like, it was supposed to be in theaters of... Not last year, but April of two years ago, 2018. Yep. That was when they had their first completed cut, was was in time for April 2018. Which apparently is the one we're getting. Right. It's just... And, yeah, I'm... And my understanding is, and my understanding of New Mutants in general, is it's probably enough of a standalone film that there aren't all that many references to the the rest of the X-Men series. Except they're mutants. Sure, but like... Like, I don't think we're going to be seeing Xavier in it. You say that. But watch. <laughs> At the end, we'll get... They'll, they'll roll James McAvoy out again. <laughs> Honestly, at this point, I really just hope there's a Deadpool post credit scene. Uh, like, Deadpool just in here, like... So how does this fit into the MCU? Right. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, making some kind of joke about retcons. Yeah. Ah, uh, gosh. So, so yeah, so New Mutants, apparently, supposedly, uh, getting a trailer very soon and hitting theaters this year. Okay. So, th- there's actually one more bit of news. Yeah. 
So there's a rumor that Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, could introduce a lot more characters into the MCU. And of course, okay, that... I, I saw a little bit about this. Yeah. Yes, and of course, the span the fan speculation immediately became it's Deadpool. <laughs> it's Deadpool. I mean, I could see that. I could see a cameo or something. Deadpool's going to be in Doctor Strange too. I'm just like, does that feel like the best fit? I can't see it being more than a cameo. Yeah. If it happens at all, it's a cameo. I would I would expect far more likely that we would be seeing uh, Marvel horror characters. Because Ryan Reynolds like, has said that Deadpool 3 is in production yes. in the MCU. Yes. Yes. With Disney. Yes. So they are actively working on it. Right. And you know, but, there's a... Mm-hmm. But get, like I say, given that they've all, that Scott Derrickson, the director of Doctor Strange and Doctor Strange Two, uh, has said that he wants the sequel to be more of a horror movie, that I would expect to see more of the characters in line with that. Okay. Like maybe a Mephisto or a Shuma Garath or you know stuff like that. Okay. And of course, now back to Deadpool for a second though. Like there was all kinds of speculation on Twitter that. You know, Ryan Reynolds and Marvel are fighting about the rating. And as far as I know, that's bullshit. Yeah, no, they they said a while back that, of course, Deadpool would be R. Yeah, which... Well, for one thing, their experiment with the PG-13 recut did not do as well as they wanted it to. No. Not that it did badly, like, people went to see it, but, like, it did not do as well as the R-rated cut. No. And part of that is because people knew, hey, this is just a recut of the first two films into one film. Right. It honestly might have done better if they had just repackaged it that way for TV and video. Possibly. I don't know. But and, anyway, I, I, I fully expect Deadpool 3 to be rated R. And that, of course, has been Hellstrom Watch. <laughs> Alright, guys. So we do have three issues to talk about with you this week on the show, we've got Werewolf by Night number 12, uh, Strange Tales number 171, and Tomb of Dracula number 15. And so uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with the first of those, which I believe is Werewolf by Night number 12. It is indeed. We'll see you then. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it, and now we're going to do it too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. <laughs> it's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. 
or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock in the Infinity Watch TV show, make ours Marvel. Some mornings there's a little monster in all of us. Morning, Fred. And until that first cup of coffee, we can all be pretty beastly. Good morning, Fred. That's when your 7-Eleven store can be a lifesaver. Good morning, Fred. With a good cup of fresh fruit hot coffee to perk up your morning. 7-Eleven coffee brings out the best, not the beast in you. Hey, Ralph! Welcome back, Tomb Believers. Our first issue this episode is Werewolf by Night number 12, cover dated December 1973. Writer, of course, is Marv Wolfman. Artist is Gil Kane. Inker is Don Perlin. Letterer is Tom Orzachowski. Colorist is Linda Lessman. Editor is Roy Thomas. We resume from last issue with the Hangman. Remember him? Nope. Neither. Suspending the werewolf over a Los Angeles street corner by his neck. Distraught, Liza reveals to Buck Cohen that the werewolf is in fact her brother, Jack Russell. Jack's hairier side uses his lichen teeth to bite through the noose, and both the lycanthrope and the vigilante disappear into the night after the timely arrival of law enforcement who are stopped by Liza from putting a bullet in the back of her transformed brother. After spending 12 hours passed out in the alley, Jack returns to his new apartment to find two of his gorgeous female neighbors waiting for him. The two are there to convince their new neighbor to go swimming with them, which he happily does. Jack takes a break from his aquatic frolics to make a call to his sister Liza, wherein his frantic sibling reveals to him that their stepfather, Philip Russell, is missing. Around this time, two goons arrive to abduct Jack himself at gunpoint knocking the young man unconscious and throwing him in the backseat of their car. To their surprise, however, when they check the rear view, they find not a dozing ginger youth, but instead a snarling chestnut werewolf. The car crashes into some trash cans, which must have been filled with C4 because the car erupts into a fireball, as the werewolf escapes into the night to again hunt the hangman. The lycanthrope, balloonious vigilante this side of Moon Knight scuffle across the rooftops until Hangman tries to escape to his lair with the werewolf in pursuit. In the struggle, Hangman's two female prisoners escape and a roof caves in on the Hangman as he unsuccessfully pleads with the werewolf to end his life from under the debris. You take Mark Spector's name out of your mouth right now. <laughs> oh. But seriously, ugh, the Hangman... Okay, I gotta ask, does this guy come back? I hope not. Um, you know, now I'm curious. Uh, Hangman appearances. Apparently? Really? Seriously, what? No, no. Uh. I don't think we have to read many of them, though. Uh, that's nice. It looks like he mostly appears in Spider-Woman after this. Oh, so I just get to read them. <laughs> and my Marvel read-through. Great. Uh, and then he uh. eventually dies in 1982. Oh. Spoilers. 
in uh, Bizarre Adventures number 31. Okay. Go figure. Yep. <sighs> but anyway, um, first off, I just we, we, we mentioned this in the break, but uh, I like this cover. Yeah, it's a really good cover. It plays with perspective in a fun way because you're, you're looking at things from the POV of the werewolf and you see him in the reflection in the in the mirror it's just real it's real good yeah it's it's a it's a fun cover it's although it doesn't match at all the actual scene from the book no in the cover he's like attacking a couple yeah. um like a, a man and a woman but uh but in the the issue proper it, it's just two goons yeah two gangsters right yeah and also the the version of it in the issue proper is not as interesting an image just in terms of the perspective because it's not exactly POV. Yeah. It's eh. So let's let's just go through it, I guess. So Liza tells Buck that Jack is the werewolf. Right. Um which I mean, he plays along pretending that he doesn't know. Yeah, cuz let's be honest. Jack, uh, Buck totally knew. Right, right. It's Buck is a like professional investigative reporter who's been living with the guy. Right. This isn't like, you know, Lois Lane and Superman where they're keeping separate apartments. <laughs> he, he he shares a bathroom with him. He's going to notice the hair. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I guess that's going to be a change to the status quo uh, going forward. Yeah. Uh, which, it'll be interesting. I, I wonder if the writer's going to be like, hey, maybe I knew the whole time. Right. So, I'm not an expert in werewolf teeth, but if we're using my husky as a comparison, it would take her a lot longer than that to chew through a rope. Yeah, probably. Probably. Like, he bites that rope and it goes snap. Right. So we're supposed to... And it's a pretty thick rope, too. Yeah, are we just supposed to assume that, like, werewolf teeth are, like, razor sharp? I, I, maybe he's part shark. Uh, werewolf. Sh- we we talked about that before. When he fought the shark, it was like if he bites the shark, does the shark become a werewolf too? <laughs> now like, I'm imagining werewolf by night running around singing "I'm a shark, I'm a shark" like King Shark does. <laughs> you know, he mentions the fact that it's been it's been like months since he last went swimming. We're like, yeah. We know. You fought a shark. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's also been months since he saw Terry, um, by which he means she last appeared in issue number two. Right? That, so, yeah, we get a mention of Terry when the um, when the two beautiful co-eds are um, tempting him to a swimming date. Which, okay, how did those two women get into his apartment? And Your how guess long is they, as good as mine. How long have they been waiting there? Do they sleep there? Because <laughs> he's been gone for at least 12 hours. Well, and I mean, that other guy in the apartment complex just leaves his door open, too. Maybe that's just how they all are. Ugh. I want to insert that clip from Coupling. It's like, Jeff, this is not an American sitcom. <laughs> We're t- um, and, and, uh, and I'm not going to lie. When he uh, when he leaves the girls after he goes swimming, and and muses, uh, I was destined to not return at all. 
I, I was kind of happy about that. So wait, are we just saying, okay, this whole su- supporting cast thing is not working out, so that's it for them. That's how I read it, and I'm hoping I'm right. But they've spent a bunch of time, like, eat, like the the weird neighbor. The right, who's the one who's people. researching... The one who's researching occult stuff. Yeah. they sp- For establishing he's not going to be coming back, they've spent a lot of time establishing the characters. Right. No, I and, and I figure they will come back. But I, I was real hopeful when he said he was destined not... I figure it actually is just meant to mean not that night. <sighs> but I was, I was hoping that this was the end of this whole apartment complex. That... That Jack would realize the error of his ways and move back in with Buck. No. Of course, we, we thought that, you know, Buck and Liza were gone forever, and then they show up again in the same issue. That's true. That is very true. <laughs> so, it's like, okay, sure. In fact, speaking of supporting casts, I mentioned Terry not being seen since issue two. Um, issue number two, of course, was her second appearance. Uh, do you know how many appearances uh, Terry has? in marvel comics two that's it uh although you know given the life expectancy of superhero girlfriends that might just be better off for terry she she probably has a happier life away from jack russell exactly you know she probably like found a nice guy or you know got a nice career for herself and yeah it's just like you know she doesn't end up in a fridge somewhere Right, right. Or thrown off a bridge. But Good man, yeah, yeah. But but man, the, the hangman just gets less and less interesting with every panel he appears in. <laughs> yeah, it's... They're trying to do, I guess, like a proto-Punisher thing with it. Yeah, yeah. Which, I, I guess they're just taking it too gonzo like that's the thing is like if you're gonna do a character like that he has to have at least a little bit of a point yeah also the fact that he's kidnapping women is not cool no that is real creepy he is kidnapping women and keeping them chained in his headquarters that is not okay nope not at all and and also just i don't know i i feel like they didn't think through the theme of the character very much because like his main weapon is a scythe yeah He's called the hangman, and his main weapon is a scythe. It's like, just... like even in that that final fight, the werewolf thinks to itself that it needs to uh, destroy that dreaded weapon of the hangman. It's like that's not a hangman's weapon. It's the noose, you know, the one that you're wearing around your belt, and you know, the one you hung the guy from in the beginning of the issue. Right, and he eventually does use it right at the very end. But, yeah. like, it's never his go-to weapon the way it ought to be, given that he is the hangman. Also, let's just give a shout-out to the real MVP of this whole issue. Uh, that, of course, being Sergeant Carradine. Oh, nobody escapes from Sergeant Carradine. Who's just about to shoot both the hangman and the werewolf in the back. I mean, that would, pro- that would probably save a considerable amount of paperwork. Like, think about it. If he had shot the hangman in the back, who would have saved those girls? Fair. They'd be dead. They would have a slow, painful death. Tied up yeah, in a th- lair. Thank goodness for Liza, like, knocking the gun completely out of his hand. 
Liza, who completely escapes charges for doing so, by the way. Right, right. <laughs> you know, which I guess makes her, woman. which I guess makes her the first one to ever escape Sergeant Carradine. Wow. Also, come on. Lin Wein's been watching Kung Fu. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the only reason there's a character named Carradine in this. Well, they're they're pushing their, their Master of Kung Fu book later on. Yeah. Although Lin Wein's not writing that, but yeah. He's not. But, like, you know everyone in the office is talking about stuff like that. Yeah. Almost certainly. Uh, so... <laughs> it it ends the story that was started last issue. It's... Werewolf by Night is fun. Werewolf it's by goofy. Night is goofy fun. Yeah. Like, I it's, don't... It's it's no longer even trying to be scary, and that's okay. Yeah. Like, we are we are gone from, like, the Mike Plug melting people... Right. <laughs> ...that we were at before. Like, Jesus Christ, that was bad. Right, and, and you know... Not, not like, not like not... bad bad, because it was gorgeous. But it's like, oh, yeah. man... Yeah, this is silly. Hangman's not my favorite, but he's still better than either of the Kane brothers. Yeah, and whatever that guy was living in the sewers. Right, yeah, that was not great. No. With the weird, like, fan of the opera thing going. Yeah. Which we should probably talk about the Gilkane artwork here. The Gilkane artwork is okay. Yeah, it's fine. Um, some of the werewolf stuff is good. Yeah. Jack looks a bit weird in places. There are a couple of close-ups where he looks like Avengers-era Beast. Okay. Just miscolored. I was talking like, you know, just like, like in human form, facially, he's weird. Which I think part oh. of that is that they're trying to make him not look like Peter Parker. Right. I get that. Yep. He is um, fairly, dis- fairly cemently established as being ginger in this. Yep. So, Okay. Um, and, and I, I guess we are, uh, still building this, the secondary plot with the committee. Like, they're weaving in and out of the story. Yeah, Philip Russell is still being tortured, and apparently Kay's in this issue. Right, right. And, and they do manage to briefly kidnap Jack. Yeah. Um, and so I'm sure, I guess that will continue to be a thing over the next several issues, at least. So uh, even though, who am I kidding? It continues to be a thing all the way up through the 30s. <laughs> although it's interesting that you know, the com- even though that Philip Russell doesn't know his his stepson's a werewolf, the committee knows that Jack Russell is a werewolf. Right, right. They seem to know more about what's going on than Philip does. So why are they sending two goons and not bothering to tell them? Hey, by the way, the guy you're kidnapping is a werewolf. <laughs> right. You want right. to take some precautions there. Not just yep. throw, you know, throw them not bound in any way, um, not secured in any way into the back of your car like, and just drive over here. Like, maybe wear some, some silver knuckles or something. Like, or, you know, steal a patrol car where you at least have a cage between you and the guy. Right. Also, can we just talk about how ridiculous that car wreck is? It's, it's full-on, like, 80s action movie. It's Michael Bay. Michael yeah. Bay directed that the crash scene because, seriously. Like, it, those... it basically bounces off the curb slightly and explodes. Yes. <laughs> Which, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it does take out a, lamp, uh, a light post. That still wouldn't cause it to just explode into a fireball. No, it would not. 
Unless, like... And there's, like, a tire flying out of the explosion. Like, it's ridiculous. The only thing I think of is, like, they hit the curb. Mm -hmm. The curb scraped the gas tank. The gas tank spilled the gas. They hit Mm -hmm. the lamppost. The lamppost sparked the gas. Right. It still wouldn't explode like that. Mm -mm. No. It would be on fire first, and it... I don't know. (laughs) I do really enjoy the panel of the actual moment of impact, though, with the werewolf, like, diving out of the backseat. <laughs> cool guys don't look at explosions. <laughs> oh, I think we've covered what we can cover about Werewolf by Night this episode. Yeah, um, like I said, goofy fun. Um, I didn't hate it. Uh, I'm hopeful for better villains going forward, because that's really what this book needs right now. Yes. It needs better villains, which... Um, and, uh, and this next issue that's setting up, uh, is, uh, his name is Taboo. No comment. Which, yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens. (sighs) But, uh, that... I think does it for Werewolf by Night this month. Uh, coming okay, up next. What? Oh, hold on. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to make a prediction about Taboo. Okay. Taboo is going to be a big muscle bound guy with um, what today would be considered culturally in- insensitive depictions of minorities. Hmm. You know, I'm just, I'm just calling that now. You're you're probably not wrong anyway you were saying uh that uh i i think we're about done with this issue of of werewolf for the month uh up next we are moving on to a relative newcomer to the show which is strange tales number 171 featuring brother voodoo speaking of culture and sensitive depictions of minorities i mean we'll be right back you like spooky movies, hair-raising tales, insightful criticism, judgmental hot takes, then you're going to love Horror Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Don. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great, or maybe not great. Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products. It's a matter of life. It's a matter of death. It's a matter of a beautiful Italian spy, seven killers, a voodoo witch doctor, a living corpse, a gorgeous double agent, 12 cars, five planes, 10 acres of land, a wedding reception, a double-decker bus, a fleet of speedboats, a sea of crocodiles, the beautiful sorceress named Solitaire, the man with the steel arm, and a retired Navy LST, all against one man. My name's Bond. James Bond. Roger Moore is James Bond, 007. In Ian Fleming's Live and Let Die, 007 is on a worldwide manhunt, and the body count is going up. It's livelier, it's deadlier, it's Roger Moore as James Bond, 007, in Live and Let Die. Live and Let Die. 
from United Artists, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Live and let die. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Our next issue for today is Strange Tales number 171, featuring Brother Voodoo. Cover date is December 1973. The writer is Lynn Ween, artist Gene Colan, inker Frank Giacoya, letterer I.P. Gregory, colorist Glennis Ween, and the editor is Roy Thomas. Our title for today, March of the Dead. Jericho Drum, a.k.a. Brother Voodoo, walks among the tombstones on a dark night when suddenly a hand reaches up from the earth and grabs his ankle. In an instant, he is surrounded by Zvimbis. Brother Voodoo fights back, landing blow after blow on the undead assailants, but they continue to attack. He conjures his brother's spirit to aid in the fight, but finds that his spirit is unable to possess the soulless body of a Zvimbi. Plus, with every attempted possession, Jericho is hit with increasing levels of pain until he is too weak to continue fighting. Drum muses that if only he knew who controlled the shambling corpses, he could stop them. Just then, right before Brother Voodoo is rendered unconscious, that person reveals himself to be Baron Samdi, the Lord of the Dead. Jericho's unconscious mind wanders back to the events that brought him to this moment of helplessness. In his old mansion just outside the French Quarter of New Orleans, Brother Voodoo is talking to his snake about how things are too quiet. Suddenly, his manservant, Bombly, informs him that two gentlemen need to speak with him about an urgent matter. They tell him that Haiti is overrun with Zvembis, who have raided the men's laboratory and stolen an electronic transformer. In the attack, one Zvembi was captured and identified as a man who drowned six months earlier. Brother Voodoo agrees to help and makes arrangements to travel back to Haiti. Upon arriving, Jericho inspects the captured Zvembi himself and is told that a UN pathologist is on the way for a more formal evaluation. Jericho agrees to meet the plane at the airport in case there is trouble. He fights off the expected attackers, but at the hospital, the pathologist's findings are inconclusive. The man is inexplicably neither dead nor alive. The only thing he knows for sure is that the dirt in the man's fingernails is definitely from a common grave. Brother Voodoo decides to begin searching the cemeteries, which brings us back to where the issue began. Brother Voodoo gradually awakens and finds himself chained to a device in a laboratory where Baron Samdi is working with men dressed in advanced idea mechanics uniforms. Samdi informs him that this lab is directly beneath the cemetery. It turns out the Zvembis are people kidnapped while visiting the cemetery and transformed using the device to which Brother Voodoo is now strapped. It drains not the soul, but the mind, sapping the willpower of a person and leaving them mindless drones. Now Samdi has decided that Brother Voodoo will be the leader of his Zuvembi army. The machine is activated, and Brother Voodoo is left seemingly in complete control of his enemies. Just as Samdi drops his guard, Brother Voodoo strikes, revealing that he used his mastery of reptiles to summon a lizard to chew through the wiring of the machine and render it ineffective. Samdi tries to call on his Zuvembi army to attack, but the destruction of the machine also returned them to normal. They escape through the pneumatic elevator tubes while Brother Voodoo dispatches the remaining AIM agents. In the fight, 
the mind mechanism falls from the ceiling, apparently crushing Baron Samdi, and Brother Voodoo escapes to the surface just as the lab collapses in on itself. Zavimbi! Right? I do love the, uh, the comics code workarounds when they come up. So, apparently, it's okay to say zombie in Tales of the Zombie, which is a magazine title. But you couldn't say zombie in Strange Tales, which was a newsstand title. Yes, that is correct. Fun fact, the comics code had loosened a little bit at this point because they were allowing vampires and werewolves. But they continued to ban the word zombie until 1989 because... Zombies lacked the literary, which to me sounds like code for white Eurocentric, history that those other characters had. Oh, wow. Okay, I I never even thought about that aspect of it. Yeah. Okay. Because point to me what novel, like, in terms of literature, that werewolves come from. Like, it's just folklore. You're right. Hmm. Um, Like, you can point to movies, like The Wolfman, but, like, you can point to movies for zombies. By the way, I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Baron Zemetti. Zemetti? Yeah. I could be wrong. We'll find out when he makes his MCU debut. <laughs> well, seeing as we just read his first and only appearance. What, really? Yeah. Only appearance? Only appearance yep. dies. Crap, you're right. Yep. There's a different one who appears in an issue of Doctor Strange in, like, the 90s. But he's a different okay, character. because this guy was cool. He had a, he had yeah, a cool a really look. cool design. Yeah. Um... And fairly distinct from what you might expect if all you've ever encountered is the live and let die version of the character. Oh, that's why. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it is Zemetti. I'm fairly certain. Crap. Now I gotta watch the live and let die. Hold on. I'll be right back. <laughs> no, not, 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 not right now. Not in the middle of the show. When you were young and your heart was an open book, you used to say... Live and let live. You know you did, you know you did, you know you did. Ooh. I forgot how good Baron Sabetti's entrance in Live Let Die was. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're fairly clear here that Live and Let Die was a huge influence on this issue, right? Um, quite possible. Okay, I'm not gonna uh, watch the whole clip. Um, although, yeah, probably because it was what the year before. Yeah. So anyway, what were we saying? Um, so it, it's his only appearance. Uh, oh, the the Zuvimbis. Um, in addition to the fact that that continued to be a necessity for most of Marvel comics through the late '80s. Um. Did you know that that word is not a Marvel invention? No, I did not. The word Zavimbi originates in a Robert E. Howard story. Oh. I, I have to wonder if maybe Roy was the one who brought that over. That that makes sense, because what probably happened was they used zombies in the script, and Roy's like, nope, can't use zombies. Those are uh, not allowed to code. You can use Zavimbis. What are Zavimbis? Well, you see Robert E. Howard... <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes off yes, for an hour. Which I imagine is actually no what we've talked to Roy. That is what talking to Roy is like. <laughs> oh, we, we love do. Him, we, love, we love we love you, Mr. Thomas. Um, um 
Also, I can't help but get excited when I see those AIM beekeeper suits. Oh, okay. So, can we agree that Brother Voodoo is the most superhero character we've seen on this podcast, except for maybe, like, Spider-Man? Yeah, like, in terms of a solo character not appearing because of a team-up, absolutely. He is the most superheroic that we've had. Yes. And that's partly because he's in the Doctor Strange mold. Yes, he is. As much as as much as they insisted in those magazine pieces that they were wanting to make him visually and and uh, uh, and in terms of characterization distinct from Doctor Strange, he is very much a Doctor Strange character. He he lives in this big spooky house. He has a manservant. Yep. People call on yep. him to help them with their magical problems. Yep. He he's he's Doctor Strange. South. He's got a big red cape. Right, exactly. Um, and even you go back to some of those early Doctor Strange appearances, he gets into fistfights a bunch, just like Brother Voodoo does. Yes, which I think a lot of people forgot about at some point, but I think has kind of come back now. He has an axe now, right? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Okay. But it's... He started carrying that. There was a whole arc where he all of the magic in the Marvel Universe was getting eaten up and absorbed and, and disappearing, and so he carried a lot more weapons during that time because he didn't have access to magic. Okay, that makes sense. But, like, he's fighting AIM here, who we haven't seen in this on this show since Man-Thing and Kazar fought them. But Right, which I also yeah, enjoyed. Yeah, that was fun, too. But it's, it's just always fun getting watching AIM guys get messed up because, you know, those guys got PhDs, and they're like... I did not sign up for this. The only, th- the, the only thing that would make it better is if those AIM guys were working on a Kirby machine. <laughs> I mean, the mind control thing is sort of a Kirby machine. Yeah, visually it's not as intricate as a, a Kirby machine would be, but it's it's getting there. It's close enough. No. Although, can we can we agree that by the end of this issue, that thing is still buried under all that rubble and can just be dug out? Right, yeah. It, it's more or less in one piece. Yeah, which... It's interesting because the Zavimbis that we see here are surprisingly similar to actual real-life zombies. Yeah, yeah, like they, even though it is a sci-fi explanation, the whole idea of the mind control and the brainwashing and all that, that, that's pretty close to what you'd get in something like The Serpent and the Rainbow. Well, that's what, that's where, like, the, the story of zombies come from, because there are people who do get, like, kidnapped and drugged, and right basically convinced that they are dead right right like yes that's how that's how um, zombies work it, right and this is this is again with a sci-fi twist but it's basically doing that yep now what that doesn't explain is why the uh the un expert at the beginning is so flabbergasted true he should just be able to be like oh no he's been drugged or he's yeah, like, th- this guy's alive, but something's weird. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. It's true. That's just there to add a bit of extra mystery to it. We also never quite figure out what the Baron has to do with AIM. No, like, why is AIM bringing in this guy except to add a supernatural flair to things? Right. Yeah, it's weird. And we don't... Yeah, it- it's a very odd juxtaposition of science and magic. Like if if you if you he had, if Brother Voodoo had just like grabbed um, Baron Zavimbi's sorry Baron um, Zemetti's face 
at the end of this, and it came off as a rubber mask, that would have made, like, so much more sense. Like a right. Scooby-Doo ending. As it is, it almost feels like... As it is, it almost feels like he was meant to become part of Brother Voodoo's rogues gallery, but then the run just didn't continue long enough. Yeah, which, sadly, we only have, like, maybe two more issues with Brother Voodoo appearing in Strange Tales. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're coming close to the end of his uh, solo feature for basically until the 2000s. Yeah, which kind of sucks because I'm actually enjoying these stories. Yeah, he's fun. And again, it is it is very much in the mold of this same era of Doctor Strange stories. Yes. But but that's cool. I like I like those too, so more of that is is fine by me. What? I'm I have to say I'm not a hundred percent uh enthused by the, the promo at the bottom of the last page. Next issue, the black rooster. <laughs> like, I don't know, that that just sounds like we're we're heading back toward uh less interesting villain territory. Uh you might be right there. But so f- But so far Brother Voodoo, with just three stories under his belt, is approximately one million times better than Ghost Rider. Right? Like, Brother Voodoo is a straight-up superhero. Yeah. Ghost Rider ought to be. Except he murdered a bunch of people last issue. Which is part of the problem, I think. <laughs> like, they, they, they're they stuck in the middle with Ghost Rider. Not to go too far off onto a book we're not covering, but on the one hand... He's too much of a superhero to be a monster, but on the other hand, he's too much of a monster to be a superhero. Which would be great if they're doing that intentionally, but they're not. But I don't think they are. No. no. Like, they want him to be a superhero. Yeah. They they teamed him up with Spider-Man. Yes. And, like, in his Spider-Man appearance, he's 100% a superhero in that. Yeah, like, that was the best thing he's done ever. Yep. And he's going to be a champion so, later, so... Right, right, right. So he better figure it out pretty quick. Because, like, you know, they didn't let Man-Thing join the champions. Just saying. <laughs> that would have been awesome, I, Right? <laughs> <laughs> Except it would have, like, he can't talk. So it'd have to be, like, Man-Thing shambling around with, like, Howard the Duck riding on his shoulder. Man-Thing growls. This is true. Uh... <laughs> but in any case uh brother voodoo fun issue it was, it was good it was, i don't think i liked it as much as the origin issues but it was fun although we cycle back to the origins origin issues here a little bit we, we yeah. cycle back to that first scene at the airport which we're like we'll come back and they're like we'll come back to this later and they did yep yep so that was fun it was it was it was nice um and uh yeah it's a shame we're not going to get too much more of this character because i i like him and I like what they're doing with him in contrast to some of the other books we've been covering. Yep. I mean, we'll follow him along as we go. It's... Yeah. I mean, when he leaves Strange Tales, he's not gone forever. Yeah. He, he's fun. Yeah. All right. So, so I, I think, unless you've got any more, I, I think I've run out of things to say. Like I say, it's a fun issue, and the art's fun. We didn't talk about the art much, but it's good, solid superhero adventure action. Yeah. It is. You know, lot, lots of, uh, lots of uh, sound effects and shouting and punches. 
Yeah, stuff we don't get to talk really talk about enough on this show, I don't think. <laughs> Weirdly, not as much of Brother Voodoo using his magic as I would have expected. No, he's much more of a use my fist sort of guy. Yeah, he he tries to possess a, a Zavimbi that one time, and then we find out after the fact that he summoned a lizard. Yeah, but like, there's no there's it. no no use of the brother possessing people again, which is kind of surprising because that was his no. big power thing. That was his big stick. Yeah, that was that was the big revelation in the origin uh, issue that he could do that. Yep, which I feel like that might have been and useful for like an teenager or something. Right, right. See, I kind of thought that was what was going to happen, was he was, the, the villain was going to get control of Brother Voodoo, but Brother Voodoo had already possessed someone else. Right, the brother has to save him while possessing an AIM agent. That'd be cool. Right, right. That that was where I thought they were going, and then it sort of took a simpler direction. Yeah, I mean, the, they were the not moment is, is fun. Is to, to steal a joke from the 1990s, it is. The, it, 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 the not it's it's fine right yeah the 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 bit i mean it's a satisfying moment when he just punches him in the face anyway we'll be right back with tomb of dracula number 15 after these messages don't talk just listen Son, there is no hope, only mystery, wonder, and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinepunks Podcast Network. has risen from the grave. 
resist him is useless. To rise against him is futile. To know him is eternal damnation. Dracula has risen from the grave. Welcome back to Ideas. Our last issue for this episode is Tomb of Dracula number 15 from December 1973. Writer is Marv Wolfman. Artist is Gene Colan. Inker is Tom Palmer. Letter is John Costanza. Colorist is Tom Palmer. Editor is Roy Thomas. Deep in some unknown crypt, Dracula, Lord of Vampires, chronicles a quartet of tales and a journal. First, there is a direct aftermath of the previous issue, where after leaving behind Blade, Harker's Hunters, and deceased pastor Josiah Dawn, Dracula in bat form is nearly shot down by a local hunter. Dracula decides to take his revenge by commanding the creatures of the night, like rats and wolves, to pursue the hunter to his doom. Second, speaking of revenge, Dracula recounts the tale of a philandering husband killing his wealthy wife by casting her off a cliff. Dracula comes upon the broken woman and offers her a chance at revenge, biting the woman. Later, the woman's husband is seen making time for gorgeous redhead when a knock comes at the door. When he opens the door, of course he discovers he is not quite the widower he thought he was as his now vampiric bride pounces to sink her teeth in. Third, Dracula recounts the tale of an invitation he received from an elderly man who claimed to be almost 2,000 years old after being granted immortality by a secret pool of blood hidden under the earth. The old Briton now seeks the vampire lord's aid in returning to the pool so that he may recharge his immortality and so that the bloodsucker can have an endless supply of the red stuff. Upon reaching the pool, however, the old man reveals his actual purpose to be to destroy the pool and a magical explosion using the amulet hanging around his neck, just failing and also eliminating Dracula in the resulting arcane explosion. Lastly, Dracula remembers a tale from 1969, where a Scotsman ambushes the Count in his ancestral castle as revenge for the vampire's slaying of the man's son some months before. The Scotsman manages to stake the Count before falling to his doom, and we learn that the Count remains staked thus until the first issue of this series in 1972. Dracula closes out the book by pledging that though he may die again and again, nothing will stop the legendary vampire from rising from his tomb. Nothing. So concludes Dracula War Journal. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. I mean, that's a, my first thought was that it's just like those those issues where Punisher would like recount his activities in in his war journal hiding underground. You know, I never really got into Punisher War Journal. Like that was coming out like right when I was getting into comics too as a kid. And even then I'm kind of like going, you know, I I really don't care about Punisher at all. He's just yeah, a dude of Yeah. That's guns. fair. I mean, there is an era of Punisher like late 80s 
that I will admit in retrospect is kind of fun. Like, in that it's basically every bad action movie cliche of the 80s you can imagine. Oh, it totally is. Like, like there, there, there are some really fun ones from that era, but a lot of it uh, later on just doesn't do much for me. Also, just, I have to say, the, the cover on this one, especially the, the very top section of the cover is basically the worst James Bond sequence ever. <laughs> um, it, it, for those of you listening, um, because podcasting is such a wonderful visual medium, uh, the, the top section of the cover is a series of crosshairs with a bat in them uh, as it gets shot by the hunter. The name's Tempest. Vlad Tempest. Agent <laughs> Agent Double O Negative. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was a, a interesting change of pace for the book. Yes, it was. It it almost feels like it wants to be an issue of Dracula Lives. It, okay, yeah. Like, I feel like this format should be moved over to Dracula Lives because it works out really well. It's just not what mm-hmm. I was expecting for an issue of Tomb of Dracula. Right, because the whole time I'm thinking, I miss Blade and I miss the Scoobies. Yeah. Where we've had stories like this before, like there's the one where Dracula washes up in the fishing village. and mm-hmm. But that's just one story overall. This is a bunch of them like... And I feel like this could have been multiple issues. It could have. Like each of these, or again, segments in the magazine. Yes. I feel like all of these... Because the magazine, the magazine seems far more interested in these kinds of, like, snapshots of different eras of Dracula's life. Yes. Okay. So, let's ask a question here. Which of these was your favorite? Hmm. Um, so, probably the third one. And I say that because it's basically Dracula versus Ra's al Ghul. Okay, so you like the Ancient Britain one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. My favorite one is the one with the wife and the husband. Can I guess why? Go ahead. Is it because of the redhead? There's a redhead named Cindy? I can't imagine what you're talking about. Ugh. <laughs> 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 oh. That is a fun one, though. It really is. It really is. It's, that one's very Tales of the Crypt. It is. Well, or even, I mean, Dracula at one point is like, ironies within ironies, deceptions within deceptions. Like, who are you? The, the specter? <laughs> uh, like, are you going to turn an arsonist into a candle next? I forgot about that. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Although the wife, the, the vampire wife looks really great on that page, on that panel in, on 15. When he... Yeah, I mean the art in this issue is really good overall, but but yeah, that's a that's a fun panel reveal. Yeah, when he answers the door and it's just her like that, it's like, oh, you are screwed. <laughs> yep. Oh, yep. that's fun. <laughs> also, is it just me? Like, I feel like the 1969 reveal in the last story kind of messes with our timeline. A little bit, because earlier Dracula has suggested that he's been dead for like. A century or so. Yeah, centuries or decades. And here it's like, no, it was just three years. No, yeah. It, no big deal. Which I'm like, uh, okay. 
Okay, if that's okay, sure. But that was before Marv Wolfman was on the book. It, it was, yes. So I think we might be get, starting to see Marv Wolfman's plan coming together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and at the very least, it's putting Quincy Harker and his agents more into the timeline so that they don't just like suddenly appear after the fact. Yeah. Also, I kind of feel I feel like the references to China and Asia are going to have some significance later. Oh, they'd have to. Uh, I think that's setting up future stories either in this book or in Dracula Lives. Yeah. Um, because we've already seen because we've already seen various Asian characters popping up. Yes. So I think it, it does. I think it does tie into the Doctor Sun thing. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, this is. Again, more than any other book that we've covered, this book right now seems to have its eye on the future. Well, let's be honest. This is this is the this is the prestige book of our show right now. It, it is. It is. It has you know one of the best creative teams. Uh, it it for one thing, it's been running longer than most of the things we've been covering. Yes. It's got its shit together more than most uh, of the things we're covering. And, and <laughs> th- this is true. This is true. Um, and, and it also, it, it basically hit the ground running. Even before Wolfman was on the book, it was already, at, at the very least, consistent. Yes. But, like, we cannot pretend for a second that part of the reason we like Werewolf by Night so much is the fact that it's so freaking all over the place. Right, right. No, the only other book that seems to be planning ahead the way that this book is, is Man-Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Man-Thing and... Because, because Man-Thing, Man-Thing will set up something in a single panel and then not come back to it for three issues. You're right. You're absolutely right. And then suddenly it's there. Like, And it's like, oh yeah, it did suggest that, didn't it? Yeah, we were worried about the Jennifer Kale stuff. We were like, oh, right. this isn't going to pay off. This isn't going to pay off. This, Oh, crap, it paid off. Right, right. Because Gerber's thinking ahead. Yeah. So really, the to the two pillars of Marvel horror right now, or are Man Thing and Dracula, as they should be. And like, I kind of think of like Marvel Marvel horror is like this empty office building, empty office like <laughs> floor, and it's just like right. pillars, and like the pillars holding up the ceiling are Dracula and Man Thing, and then there's just like mm-hmm. Werewolf by Night. And Ghost Rider bouncing around like ping pong balls off the pillars and the walls. Yep. And then there's this like crumbling hole in the floor where Ghost Rider is. <laughs> there's a weird stench coming from it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there's even, there's a, talking about flashbacks, like there's actually a moment in here where you get sort of a flashback within a flashback because we go back to. Uh, the events of Dracula's origin from Dracula Lives number two, um, except that ver- this this flashback version of Dracula Lives number two is far less naked than I remember. Yeah, it, it, somebody has added some re- retroactive clothing to that panel. Right, like Dracula is censoring his memories a little bit here. Mm, you wouldn't have thought think of him being such a prude either. Right, right. But yeah, no, it's it's a fun issue. It's it's way more traditional horror comic than I expected. Yeah, it's it's Dracula as horror host. 
Yeah. Telling stories about himself. Yes. Which I dig. I dig the whole thing. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. It wasn't... Like I say, it's, I, I miss I miss the Vampire Hunters, because even though I know, and we keep talking about the fact that Dracula is the title character, he is the main character of this book, I, I, I have gotten attached to the Vampire Hunters, and I always want to see more of them. Yeah. Like, like we said, I think this is a good issue. It's just not what I was expecting from this series. And maybe that's the reason right. we are... And maybe that's the reason we're doing... That Marvel Wolfman did it. Because it gives us something unexpected. It does. And, and, and again, it allows us to sort of take a moment to breathe after... Like a couple of issues in a row that were... Uh, fairly plot heavy in terms of driving the narrative forward this allows us to take a step back and sort of reorient ourselves around the character of dracula yeah which okay like you said he's the main character we'll just have to deal yeah yeah so like i said based on this i have no idea what the next issue is going to be no in fact what is the next issue called there's no indication of where we're going death's hand uh so the blurb just says next death's hand, yeah. Which could be anything. Um Right. Uh but we've also gotta be getting close to when Dracula starts appearing in some of the other books. I mean we already had the, the Frankenstein issue. Yes. Although um, we haven't had the continuation of it yet. We've not, but we've we've had the, the reveal. Yes. The cliffhanger with Dracula um, on the last page. Right, right. Um, the the next one, the actual title of the next one is He Swore That He Wouldn't Die, Return from the Grave. Which could be anything still. Yeah, that, that tells us nothing. No, not anything. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, so, I guess... Solid that, issue. Yes. I thought it was good. Like I said, the, the, all of those segments are fun, in, in each in their own way. Yeah, it is. It is. Again, Tomb of Dracula's quality, as always. Right. No, I. Uh, we should not be surprised that this episode, that this issue is solid. Exactly. So, before we go, we should probably talk about um, the end of a podcast I love, and you know, one of the big uh, inspirations. For our show, and of course that is is the Fantasticast. Um, in if case no, you don't listen to that show or you're kind of behind on it, on their most recent episode on December twenty first, uh, Steve and Andrew ended their show. Yeah, uh, they they're just kind of like you know, we really don't want to talk about the the run that's coming up, so they kind of just ended it. Which is a bit sad yeah. for us, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's... It, it's always hard when you know you're heading into a bunch of issues that that are just not good, <laughs> to, to put it mildly. Yeah, but they're so... Um, I mean, they're so close to the John Burns stuff. I'm just... Like, guys, yeah. if you're listening, we're fine if you skip ahead. <laughs> <laughs> like... Yeah, if you're not familiar with the this era of Fantastic Four, they've reached the 80s. Yes. And uh, and in the 80s, 
uh, Doug Munch and Bill Sienkiewicz took over, and they are fantastic creators. Don't get me wrong. I love that them as a creative team collectively and also them separately. But that said, I don't know that they are best suited to something like Fantastic Four. No. Um, in fact, if, if you're if that pairing sounds familiar, it's because right after their ten issues of Fantastic Four, they both basically go on to do Moon Knight. Which we go back and forth on if we're going to cover on the show or not. Right, right. Um, and and they are very well suited to that kind of street level, vaguely supernatural kind of thing. Yeah, it's just. Um, and I've I've never read. Uh, those issues of Fantastic Four, um, which were what, like two twenty-two to two thirty-one or something like that. Something like that. Because um, it's actually they they're bookended by Burn. Because Burn did a giant-sized comic that was supposed to be a promotional comic, but Coca-Cola rejected it, and so it became numbers two twenty and two twenty-one, and then the Munch Sienkiewicz run happened. And then Byrne took over again with 232. Yeah, that sounds right. It's just... we Guys, we, we, we love your show. We hate to see you go. Um, but if you are, I guess, gone for good, as the case would be, thank you so much for helping to inspire us. Because you, you were a yeah, big inspiration. I mean, that, that kind of issue-by-issue issue read-along uh, catalog-type show, that, I mean, that's... That sort of sets the standard for the kind of thing we do. Exactly. Uh, which reminds me, we, we have to um, send emails to the guys that make ours Marvel, let them know that, that we want to carry on after the 100th episode because they're threatening to stop after that one. Oh, crap. Really? <laughs> Dang. Um, yes, so we will do that, and all of you should too, because that's another fun show that I don't want to go away. Ex- Dang it. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, speaking of emails... You can, of course, always reach out to this podcast at tombofideas at gmail.com. You can also reach out on our Twitter. That's at tombofideas. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash tombofideas. Uh, Trey, am I forgetting anything? Um, You can also find our entire back catalog of episodes on your podcatcher of choice, whether that is iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever. Uh, But we are also uh, hosted at Cinepunks.com. That's punks with an X. Uh, They have been lovely enough to take us on as one of their podcasts, uh, where we are joined by the likes of the flagship Cinepunks show, Black Sun Dispatches, Fat Girl Hacks, uh, our sister show in comics coverage, The Flight Stuff, uh, horror business. There's a whole bunch of great stuff on cinepunks.com. So dig through our stuff, uh, but also check out some of the others. They've also got really cool articles about music, movies, TV, pretty much anything pop culture related you can think of. That's cinepunks.com. Right. Fantastic content. And, you know, maybe your New Year's resolution this year should be to catch up on all of them. Exactly. That that, that That's good. We should... We should start using that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, I think that... Uh, go ahead, sorry. Uh, it, well, I was just going to say, if anyone wants to read ahead for next time to keep up with us... Oh, yeah. Uh, we, we are looking ahead to uh, 
we're, we're getting into, what, January of... 1974. 1974, wow. We have hit 1974. Um, we'll be kicking things off next episode with two magazine titles, Dracula Lives number four and Tales of the Zombie number three. Right. So that is a double magazine, a double magazine episode. God help us. Right. You might even say the episode will be giant size. Oh, but no man thing. No, not not yet. We're getting there. <laughs> anyway, guys, that does do it for another episode of Tomb of Ideas. Um, bye bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Until next time, Tomb Universe. Excelsior! <laughs>